You're listening to the Outdoor Photography Podcast, episode 67. Today, we're sitting down with landscape photographer David Thompson to talk about his approach to composition and creativity, the importance of mid-tone contrast in the way he post-processes his photographs, allowing the light to dictate what and how he photographs, lessons learned through photography that apply to other aspects of life, and a whole lot more. So stay tuned. Hi, I'm Brenda Petrella, the creator of Outdoor Photography School. Join me as I sit down with top landscape and nature photographers and outdoor industry experts to chat about creativity, composition, photography tips and techniques, essential gear, safety in the outdoors, respect for nature, and so much more. Tune in every week to learn how to create compelling and impactful images while exploring and enjoying the natural world. Welcome to the Outdoor Photography Podcast. Hello, my friends. Brenda Petrella here, here to help you create better images and reconnect with nature. I hope your week is off to a great start. And thanks so much for spending a little part of your day with me today. I want to take a moment to thank all of you who have left a rating and review, bought me a coffee through the link in the show notes, which is kind of like a podcast tip jar, or have shared the show with a friend. Each of these supports the show in important ways, and they help me to get incredible guests to come on and share their expertise and perspectives with you. So if you're enjoying the podcast, please consider supporting it in one of these ways. And if you already have, thank you so much for taking the time to do that. I really appreciate it. Also, as those of you who receive the Outdoor Photography School Digest or follow me on Instagram likely already know, I unfortunately ruptured my plantar fascia in my left foot a couple of weeks ago. And so I'm going to be in a boot for the foreseeable future and I won't be hiking again until September or so. And so I thought I would use this as an opportunity to learn macro photography on a deeper level. And I thought I would share with you what I learned in a future Tidbit Tuesday. So I'm curious, what questions do you have around macro photography? You can leave me a voice message or contact me through outdoorphotographypodcast.com. And I look forward to hearing from you and we can learn together. All right. I'm very excited to introduce you to today's guest, David Thompson. I first came across David's work on Instagram through his connections with my friends, Sarah Marino and Jennifer Renwick, both of whom have been on the podcast before. And I immediately fell in love with the subtle yet rich quality of the colors in his photographs, as well as the compelling compositions he creates. So I was really thrilled when he said yes to coming on the podcast. So let me give you a little bio on David. David Thompson is a landscape and nature photographer from Las Vegas, Nevada, who describes himself as a regular guy who takes pictures of the landscape. Spending most of his childhood exploring the outdoors and playing in the deserts and foothills of the Sacramento Mountains, he has a deep appreciation for and connection to nature. David's interest in photography was first sparked in childhood by a photograph of his grandfather's, but he didn't get serious about his pursuit of that interest until later in life after his son was born. In 2008, he purchased his first digital camera, and as they say, the rest is history. He passionately dedicated himself to learning the art and craft of photography, and he now enjoys helping others on their journeys as well. And so without further ado, please enjoy my fun and wide-ranging conversation with David Thompson. David Thompson, welcome to the Outdoor Photography Podcast. Thank you so much for taking the time to come on the show today. It's really great to finally meet you. 
Brenda, thanks for having me on. I really appreciate it. Yeah, absolutely. So I've already given the listeners a brief bio on you in the introduction, but I always like to give our guests the opportunity to tell us a little bit more about how they got started in photography in the first place. And I understand, I've I've heard you say it anyway, that you didn't really consider yourself a creative person early on. And so I'm curious, why photography? What sparked your interest in in photography specifically? Uh, You know, it's funny. Um, You know, I've thought about this a lot of times. And, you know, I guess as we get older, we start to realize a lot more about ourselves. Mm -hmm. And for me, I think the the whole photography thing started when I was a little kid. Um, my mother and father, they were from back East. They were from New York, Brooklyn, nice. you know, you, across the way from you. Yep. yep. Uh, I'm a Jersey girl. <laughs> I know. <laughs> so, um, so my mother, my grandfather, he was in the, he was in the Navy and my grandfather served probably a good 25 years in the Navy. And, you know, as a kid, when I used to go back East to visit him, he'd have all these pictures and, you know, and all these photo albums. And there was this one picture that always intrigued me was this uh, battleship. And it was a, um, like this, uh, top down view, uh, looking at the front of the ship with the, the gun turrets. And there's these huge waves coming out the side of the ship. And I was always intrigued by that image. And, you know, I'd always ask my grandpa, you know, you know, the backstory on it and, you know, have you been here? Cause I was kind of like a nerdy kid. I would always read these encyclopedias. I guess I'm, you know, showing my age here. <laughs> but I, was I remember always, those. <laughs> right. So I used to always, you know, flip through the encyclopedias and I always used to like to look at the pictures and, you yeah. know, there was always this, you know, intrigue with, you know, different, you know, areas and countries and, and that kind of thing. So I think it all started then when I was, you know, younger, but as I got older and this, you know, being outside, um, you know, when I lived in New Mexico, going to White Sands and, you know, my parents taking me camping in the mountains and, you know, road trips, you know, we used to do road trips all the time. And I remember like, you know, there are times when we do road trips from New Mexico to New York and anything in the middle of the country was just boring. But then, <laughs> As I started to get to the coast, you know, you start seeing a lot more green, you start seeing a lot more trees and that kind of thing. So I think that um, that used to just spark my interest in nature in general. Mm-hmm. Um, and then as I got older, again, with the traveling, um, you know, I'd you know be out somewhere and I'd see this amazing sunset. I'd be like, wow, that'd be nice to, you know, take a picture of that. And, you know, I just so many times I kept on saying that over and over and over again. So eventually I just went and, you know, got a camera and, you know, started off with film and that failed horribly. I just, this was bad, really, really bad (laughs) at film at first. Um, I didn't know anything about composition. I didn't know anything about exposure. I didn't know how to read light. I didn't know how to meter a scene. I didn't know how to do any of that. I just put the camera in auto, would push the button. If something looked good, I would take a picture of it and hope for the best. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, film got really expensive. Um, most of the time I wouldn't have anything that was worthy of, you know, of, of a picture, yeah. you know, blurry or overexposed or underexposed and, you know, and all that kind of stuff. But then eventually I got my first digital camera. And then once I got to digital, you know, things kind of took off. It's like that instant, you know, you can see exactly what's going on. The whole creative aspect of it, obviously came over time, but, you know, it was like the stuff we'd see in magazines and, you know, on these postcards and calendars, to me, that was never obtainable. Mm-hmm. You know, that, that just seemed just way far beyond my mental capacity to even make 
a quote unquote image, right? So I just went, started studying, you know, reading every single magazine. Again, this is probably dating myself, going to Barnes and Nobles and mm-hmm. Borders Books and picking up a, a stack of magazines and a stack of photography books and just reading through, you know, these books and magazines on how to expose and, you know, composition. Um, And then the more I read, the more I started getting into, again, the landscape stuff, you know, nature photography. Um, But again, that's all, you know, all I would see. That's what I was interested in. Um, And from there, it just kind of took off and, you know, I've been, been at it for, I can't even remember now, like, I don't know, 13, 14 years now. Mm-hmm. So yeah, it's um, it's been it's been a nice journey. I could say yeah. that. So, would you consider yourself a creative person now? Uh, no, <laughs> no, <What>? uh, <laughs> no, because you know, I mean, I guess so to some degree. Yes, um, the creative aspect of photography is something that is really hard to grasp when you first pick up a camera, right? Yeah, and over time your eye starts to mature. Um, you start to mature as a person, you start to see the world differently. And that's what it took. It took for me to be, you know, more creative, you know, and, and being willing to step outside of the box Mm -hmm. and try, try things a little bit different. Um, and now, yes, I'm creative ish, I guess you can say. Um, I'm still learning. Um, you know, I, I feel like, this was the perfect fit for me. Photography was a perfect fit for me because it's something that I'm going to continue to grow and learn at. Um, I don't know if there's going to be a ceiling for me mm-hmm. uh, because I just feel like, you know, every year I get a little bit better. Um, just again, with my mental, my mental thinking of how I see the landscape, what the landscape is telling me. Um, Cause you know, the landscape has its own visual language and us right. as photographers, it's, the creative aspect of us that capture that visual language, visual language and uh, make an image out of it. So people can, you know, try to be there if you will. And, um, you know, relate to the imagery that they're seeing. So, um, so yes, in some regard, I I feel like I am a little bit creative. And again, it's still a process that I'm still continuously trying to get better at Um, starting off when I was younger, no, I was not creative at all. <laughs> I had no idea what I was doing. You know, I um I had friends like when I was in school who, man, these guys grew up to be like super, super smooth, super smart guys. Um, but they can do everything. They could draw, they could paint, you know, they can build stuff. I couldn't do any of that. I just was not just couldn't put it together. But, you yeah. know, I guess at that time it just wasn't my calling. Right. But, you know, now with the camera I can you know, create a little bit different, differently than, you know, what it was when I was, when I was younger. Yeah. Well, and it sounds like you're a naturally curious person. Would you consider yourself to be? Yeah, absolutely. Because, you know, and that's the thing, you know, what's so great about photography and, you know, um, the whole idea of exploration, Mm -hmm. not that I do all this crazy exploration, but, you know, perfect example is like when I'm in, when I was in Bryce, you know, I'm hiking down into the canyon and I always would go, oh, there looks like there could be something around that corner. Let me go see. Right. And then I'd keep on going and going. And the next thing you know, I'm like two and a half miles in and, you know, found some stuff. Yes, but didn't find a whole lot. But it's the whole act of the curiosity 
right? That keeps, you know, keeps me wondering and keeps on uh, wanting to seek more and more. So um, yes, naturally curious. Absolutely. And being willing, it sounds like to study and test and experiment as part of your learning process. Absolutely. Because I think too, that um, maybe as young photographers and, you know, you might might have a a good idea of this, but I, I have, you know, just, you know, um, doing private workshops with people. I think sometimes people get, um, they don't want to fail, right? Mm-hmm. They don't, they don't want to fail. And, you know, they're, I won't necessarily afraid of the failure, but it's like, they don't, these people don't want to come back with nothing. Right? right. But that's part of the learning process. And I was the exact same way too. It takes time to get to that point, but during my early start with photography, you know, I didn't want to fail. Right. Mm-hmm. But I didn't realize that failure was part of the learning process. Right. So um, I encourage people like, don't be afraid to fail. Like, I, I mean, you guys will see these images that I make and, you know, some of them are good. Some of them are bad, but trust me, there's a lot of really awful ones out there. And there's a lot of times where you just don't get anything. Right. But I think that's part of, part of the learning process. Yeah. And it's one of those, uh, when you want to say risk versus reward kind of thing. Right. <laughs> so, so yeah, it's, uh, it's one of those things and part of the process. Yeah. Being willing to fail is a huge thing and getting comfortable with, uh, disappointment, I guess, you know, and being Absolutely. okay with that and just thinking like, you know what, this is just part of the process. And if it wasn't yeah. for that, I won't, I, you know, I wouldn't be able to take that next step. Sure. So, yeah, yeah. I think, um, you know, that's, you brought up a good point is, um, you know, the being willing to fail, um, that failure aspect of it is really important. And, um, we have to get in that mindset that we have these high expectations, right. When we go on these trips or when we go out and, you know, looking for like this great light, we all want it, but you know, if you set your expectations a lot lower and just work what's there, mm-hmm. you'll be a lot more productive photographer and you'll have a lot more fun with it. Yeah. Um, it's, you know, it's part of the reasons too, why I started shooting like a lot more smaller intimate scenes mm-hmm. um, over the years. Cause early on, you know, I wanted that big grand landscape, you know, that was like the thing. Cause that's, you know, and I guess too, which is kind of weird, you know, thinking about it now is like we get conditioned, right? Cause remember I was right. telling you, I was looking at these stack of magazines and these books. So every page that you're flipping, you see these big, huge landscapes, right? Huge landscapes, big dramatic skies. And you know, that's what I'm thinking in my mind that I'm going to see when I, when I go out to do this, you know, my stuff. Right. And then over time I'm realizing like, that's not reality. Right. <laughs> <laughs> that, that is not real. <laughs> it doesn't happen like that. You know, you get right. good light, you know, you get good light here and there, but like what I was seeing in these magazines, you know, I thought that was, you know, supposed to be normal, but you know, again, I was naive. I didn't know, but mm-hmm. over time, you know, being that I really enjoy just being out and just having my camera with me and, you know, just taking pictures of stuff, um, realizing that, you know, I'm not going to get that big, huge sky all the time that, you know, that I think I'm going to get. So me being in that semi-creative mindset that I'm trying to, trying to get, um, (laughs) you know, I started looking at, you know, a lot smaller scenes. And then, you know, once I opened my eyes to that, that's when my photography really 
took off in a whole nother way that I never expected it to go. Mm -hmm. Just looking at the stuff that's at your feet and the little details completely, completely changed how I looked at the landscape, big and small. Mm. And I started paying attention to the little details. Um, and I think, you know, I made a comment on, you know, one of my images recently on, you know, I was going back and forth with somebody and I said, that's one of the things about my work is that I'm very detail oriented. Mm -hmm. So going to those smaller scenes was right up my alley. I didn't know it at the time, but again, once I started looking at the landscape in a, in a, in a, in a smaller, smaller scene, completely changed how I looked at the, the overall landscape as a whole. So in what ways have composing smaller scenes informed how you compose the more grand landscape? That's a good question. Um, so with, for me, with these smaller scenes, there's a lot of detail, right? And sometimes these scenes can be really, really busy. Mm -hmm. And when you're shooting these small scenes, it's very important to really have your composition dialed in so the viewer is not going all over the place in this very small frame. Right. So taking that mindset and that, those concepts and bringing it to the bigger landscape is is good because you start to not worry about all the other distractions. Right. Mm -hmm. So what ends up happening is when you're shooting these wider scenes, it's a very clear, concise subject. Right. Mm -hmm. And you want your eye to flow through that scene based upon that subject. So what it does is it just really tightens up how you look at the landscape. So, you know, there were things that, you know, maybe like, I don't know, eight years ago that I would have shot, you know, just I would have stuck, put my wide angle lens. I'd have been like, this looks great. I got a big sky. I'm just going to shoot it. And that's it. Now, just because I have a big sky that looks nice and pretty and has all the stuff that I want to shoot, um, doesn't mean that it's going to work compositionally. Mm -hmm. So I think that with those smaller scenes, it just helps your eye really tighten up the finer details of the, of the wider scene. And so it's a great way to like practice flow, would you say? Like how to, how to help the viewer go through the composition sure. and guide their absolutely. eyes? Yeah, absolutely. Because, you know, that's one of the things I, you know, I stress to, you know, my clients about visual flow. Um, you don't want any thing that's going to stop that, right? Whether mm -hmm. it be hard shadows, hard light, um, it could be bright colors. Um, it could be uh, too dark of colors. Anything that's going to stop that visual flow throughout the scene, that you really want to look for in, in everything, right? But even with smaller scenes, more specifically, because it's small, right? And we want right. to really keep our, 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 our viewer into that very small scene. And it does so the eye doesn't wander out of that. So I'm really big on visual flow, um, really big on what is your subject? What exactly do you want to convey with this image, right? Um, do you want to... Um, put more emphasis on the layering of the, of the image, right? Or do you want to put more emphasis on the, on the, on the texture or the structure of the image? Do you want to put more emphasis on the light and shadow play within the image, mm -hmm. right? Regardless of what you do, this image, you still want the image to have visual flow. And, you know, the more visual flow uh, with less distractions is going to help the viewer really be engaged in, in the image. So you mentioned structure. What do you mean by structure? Um, structure can be like, um, like for me, I shoot like a lot of desert, 
landscapes, right? I mean, we have like a lot of um, rock formations, pillars, uh, arches, um, monoliths, whatever you want to call it, hoodoos. And they have a structure, right? They have like a, like a shape. Um, uh, trees, for example, trees is a perfect example. Cottonwood trees, for example, or are the bald cypress trees in the swamp. They have a structure. They have a tree structure. Each tree has its own unique character and the way it flows throughout the scene. You know, some have more scraggly arms than others, but you also want to have um, the eye look at those tree scenes and how it flows throughout. And if that structure is off, uh, there can be like, I don't know, there could be another tree in front of it blocking the structure of that, right? So what do we have to do? Maybe we want to move to the left of the scene, you know, 10 feet, or maybe we want to move to the right you know, 10 feet, or if you're in the desert shooting these hoodoos, maybe there's another hoodoo that's blocking it, right? That blocks the structure, um, you know, the structure of that hoodoo, or maybe you just completely go around it and it takes on a whole another shape. Maybe it's more needle shaped. You know, that's one of the things I I really like. I really like, like really pointy cylinder shaped objects. Mm -hmm. Um, and especially when it comes to rock formations in the desert. So I look for a lot of like pointy needles and stuff. I mean, if you look at my, like some of my images, I always look for like these, almost like a pyramid, you know, I always look for like these triangles in, in my scenes. And, um, the more pointy it gets, the better, because you know, it shows a lot more interest. So, you know, maybe if I move around it, that's the structure of that is going to change a little bit. Maybe it'll flatten out. Maybe it'll just won't come as predominant in the scene. So, you know, there's a lot of uh, little nuances that you can do in the field that, you know, can really, you know, shape the structure of, you know, the scene that you're that you're shooting or what's out there. Yeah. Yeah. That makes a lot of sense. <clears throat> so how are you challenging yourself these days to continually grow as a photographer? Um, that's a, whew, man, you're really getting me today. Um, <laughs> <laughs> um, so one of the things that I've been doing for the past probably like six years now is, you know, I'm a Nikon shooter and we have in-camera crops. Mm-hmm. So we have that, um, we have that five, four and the one, one, um, we have that, <clears throat> which by the way, Oh, nice, me. nice water bottle. <laughs> <laughs> Cheers. Uh, right. <laughs> uh, but, um, yeah, so, you know, I shoot Nikon, we have the in-camera crop. So, I was doing a lot of, um, you know, five, four crops in field. Cause usually like for me, like when I get an image back to my computer, I never, like, I never crop it. Usually I have to, to see the, I have to see the crop in the field. So I base my composition in that, you know, that box, you know, that crop. Um, so that's how I compose. Mm-hmm. But what I've been doing a lot of lately here in the last, like probably like year and a half, um, is shooting a lot more square crops, which I'll tell you from a long time ago, I hated square crops. I hated them. One ones, I would, I would, what's the purpose? Like why even bother? Mm-hmm. But um, what I found though, is that it's really hard to do. Like it's yeah. really, really challenging to put, you know, put something in this square and make it flow. You know, we talked about that visual yeah. flow earlier. Right. So usually what happens with me, I usually get like, too little or too much, you know, I'm just still trying to figure out how to, you know, make it just right. But what I've been noticing though, uh, the more I shoot with the square, um, I'm getting a lot better at it. In fact, I was doing some square crops this, this weekend, you know, doing some, some intimate stuff and with the long lens and it came out 
I could they thought it came out pretty cool. Oh, so yeah. um, you know, that um has been, you know, something that I've been doing to challenge myself. Um, another thing is just, um, just trying to revisit some old areas, um, mm-hmm. that I haven't been to in a long time. Uh, that's also kind of cool too, because just with revisiting these landscapes that I haven't shot in, you know, three, four five years, just revisit them with a whole fresh new eye is just giving me a whole new, you know, perspective on, on the landscape, you know, and like we were talking about earlier, we, we grow, we mature, our eye gets stronger. There's certain things that we didn't maybe necessarily look at, you know, previously, cause we didn't, we didn't know, right. The little nuances of, you know, the landscape, we just didn't pay attention to. But now, you know, that you see, learn, and you, you know, you're doing different things. You can go back and revisit these places with a whole fresh new eye. And, you know, a lot of times you come back with something completely, completely different than what you, you know, have shot previously. So I've been doing a lot of that and that's been really, really, really cool. So, you know, I'm going to continue to do that and, you know, see how that goes. And then, you know, who knows next year I'll switch it up and try something, try something different. Yeah. Yeah, no, those are great, great tactics. I was thinking about your your square crop and trying to figure out like, do I ever do that? And I I shoot Nikon too, and I and I do do five by four sometimes in the right. field, um, right. but not the one by one too much. Except if I'm doing like subject in the middle, like a flower or sure. something like that, sure. then it seems yep. much more intuitive. But I was trying to think, right. how would I compose with the square crop? Like, how is it changing the dynamics of the frame? And I sure. wonder if it has to do with you know, like asymmetrical balance or, you know, how now you, everything is really symmetrical when you're working with a square. Sure, and so sure. how do you not just have the viewer go right to the center and, and do that flow? I can see how that would be a nice yeah. challenge. Yeah. So, you know, the other thing that's good because like I first started using it a lot in the forest. That was like, that was like, to me, this thinking like, okay, that would probably be the easiest way to start off with it. Because like you said, we have a lot of lines, right? Right. So in the forest, we're dealing with a lot of lines, a lot of spacing, and then we're dealing with um, formation, right? So we want to get that staggered formation. So we're getting that nice depth, you know, from front to back. Right. And I started there and that was cool. Like that was pretty good. But then I started doing a lot more when it came to like shooting the dunes. And when I started shooting the dunes, I started noticing that what it does is you start eliminating a lot of the outside distractions, mm-hmm. right? And when you start eliminating those outside distractions, you start getting a, a, a lot more, it's a, lot, a little bit more tighter, but the visual flow is like, it's very, it's very like to the point, like mm-hmm. you can't stray outside of that box. Right. So once I started doing that, I was like, okay, I can start doing it on smaller scenes, like more, you know, like the intimate stuff, right? The little patterns. Patterns is great because patterns, it keeps everything nice and tight. Right. So you don't really have this big whole wide scene of all these like little, little details. It keeps all the details nice and tight in this little box. So, so yeah, it's, um, it's been a challenge, but mm-hmm. you know, I like the challenge and, you know, I think that, uh, again, it just kind of helps you out when you go to this, the wider scene, it's like, wow, I have this wide scene. I have so much real estate to, to, to use here, right. uh, with the square, you don't have that. So it, it really forces your eye to really make that composition work within that box. 
Yeah. Yeah. That's really interesting. I'll have to try that. Yeah. So when you're out in the field, what's your thought process like when you're looking for compositions, regardless of the aspect ratio, you know, how you're, how are you deciding to translate your experience of a scene or of a subject into a photograph? Like what are your, what are you looking for that would help you translate that experience to the viewer? Who knows? (laughs) 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 knows? Half of the time I I, I just go out there aimlessly just point my camera at stuff. No, Um, you know, it just depends. Like, honestly, like for me, it's just about being there. Right. So wherever I go, as long as I'm there and I can see the landscape, then I can kind of decide what direction I want to go. Now, obviously, you know, conditions matter. Right. Right. But um, it just depends. Like what grabs my eye and then what can I make work with the light that we have um, at the time of capture, if I have, um, like a big sky, like we were talking about, yes, I'm going to try to make that work. Mm-hmm. Um, sometimes I'm in a position where I can't make that work. So if I can't make that work, you know, I'm going to go to the ground and I'm going to look at something at my feet. Um, or I might look at something in the distance and look at something more detail oriented. So, you know, again, it, it it just depends. Um, a lot of times how I shoot, it's on feeling, you know, sometimes I, I catch a vibe, right. Mm -hmm. And if I catch a vibe and, you know, I'm really liking what I'm seeing and I'm really liking what the light is doing to the landscape, then I kind of, I can kind of go from there. Um, again, it just really depends on what exactly, um, what exactly I'm seeing and what is the light doing to the landscape. It just, again, it just, just depends. Yeah. Yeah. No, that makes a lot of sense. Would you say that you are, you sort of have a vision for your photograph when you're creating it out in the field or does that some, is that something that's developed later in your post-processing? No, um, that's, that's, that's a really good uh, question because a lot of times, um, I like to pre-visualize like when I'm in the field, right? So, um, I can see my subject and then, you know, I'm going to kind of go through like a mental checklist of, do I want to go wider? Don't want to go smaller? Don't want to go tighter? Um, do I have too much on either side? Do I got too little on either side? So I'm already kind of pre-visualizing what, what and how that, that, that image is going to turn out. Mm-hmm. Um, sometimes there's times where you have to kind of compensate for certain things, right? So if there's, say, for instance, there's a little bit too much on the top of the frame or something on the bottom of the frame, I can go, okay, I'm not going to worry about that. I just need to get what's in the center and then I can warp, scale, do transform, whatever I need to do to make that vision come to life. Um, I try not to be in the mindset of making stuff come to life in Photoshop because the light doesn't lie, right? Right. Yeah. The light, the light is going to do things to the landscape that regardless of what tools we have in Photoshop or Lightroom, we cannot emulate that without the light being how it is in the field. Mm -hmm. So if that light in the field is not doing what it needs to do to the landscape, I cannot, I can't reproduce that. Right. Right. So I always try to make what I have work in the field. So when I come back to process and it's not like a, like a, like a whole thing. Right. Right. Um, so, so yeah, I just try to, 
you know, just go with the light, you know, let the light dictate how I, um, how I photograph the landscape. I let the light dictate how I process. And, you know, I try to keep that concept pretty simple. Like Mm -hmm. I don't try to, you know, overthink that or, you know, um, go super crazy with it or anything like that. But yes, a lot of pre-visualization in the field. Um, sometimes, um, you'll see stuff and you'll go, I think, I can make that work if the light gets a little bit better. Um, And sometimes there's certain scenes, like there's a lot of scenes that I shoot that it's at the time of capture. So if I'm not capturing it at that time, there chances are I'm not going to be able to come back and reproduce that. Right. Cause a lot of my, a lot of my shooting is kind of on the fly. Like I like to move around a lot. I don't, I have the tendency not to stick around in one spot and marry a composition. I mean like some areas, yes, I will. Um, but, um, sometimes I have to just capture what I can at that time. You know what Mm -hmm. I mean? Because the light is changing or whatever things are going on. I need to do that like right then and there. So, um, you know, I just try to, I move quick in the field, you know, um, if the light is changing, you will see me running around back and forth, like, you know, like a little kid. Um, (laughs) but you know, but like I said, if the scene calls for me to stay still, then I'll stay still. But if it doesn't, then, you know, I'm going to be on the move trying to, you know, um, you know, capture something else or, you know, look at the scene a little bit differently. Um, sometimes that works. Sometimes it doesn't. Sometimes I've, you know, kicked myself in the butt for, you know, moving, you know, too early or waiting too long or something like that. Um, I guess it goes back to that, um, so the thing that we were talking about earlier about um, being uh, very curious mm-hmm. and, you know, never knowing what's, you know, going to happen if I if I leave or if I stay. Um, maybe that's more of a psychological thing. I don't know. but <laughs> <laughs> Should I stay but, or should I yeah, go now? <laughs> right, 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 right. <laughs> so, so, yeah, it's, um, it's kind of one of those things where... Um, you know, it's, it's that internal battle, I guess you can say, but a lot of times, um, I flow off the intuition. Like I just like feel something is going to be a little bit different, or I feel like the light is going to be better, you know, maybe later or better, you know, on a, on another spot, um, then I'll move accordingly. But it just, like I said, it just depends. It just really depends. Yeah. Well, I really love how you develop your photographs. You know, they're they're soft and subtle, but the colors are really sure. rich and deep, and but sure. they're not overly vibrant or anything like that. It's sure. like perfectly balanced. Um, so, how right. are you achieving that kind of an effect? I tell everybody all in the midtones. It's all, all in, the in the all in the midtones. Midtone contrast. You know, it's again um, early on. I used to spend a lot of time processing or developing my images a, a, a lot of time, um, sometimes too much time. And I found that the more that I spent trying to work these images, you know, and try to get them the way I wanted them, they never came out right ever, never came out right. So what I learned, and again, it's one of those things that, you know, you, you learn over time and, um, you start to study light a little bit more, right. And start mm-hmm. seeing what the light does to the landscape. There's just certain things that the light does to the landscape that, um, that we can capture and be able to bring out, you know, the colors and, you know, nice shadows and all that stuff. Right. But what I learned was, um, the right light, right. Shooting your subject in good light matters. Um, if you shoot your images in bad light, you know, you can throw whatever you want to throw at it. And sometimes, you know, you can get it to work. A lot of times you can't. 
So what I learned is good light, really paying attention to the light and what it does to the landscape, and then midtone contrast. Working midtone contrast, you know, I, I can't, you know, I can't stress it enough. Midtone contrast and luminosity. So what I learned is this: um, if you shoot your stuff in good light. Um, even if it's a high dynamic range scene, right? If you shoot that that scene in, in good light, you don't have to do a lot of processing to it, right? Mm-hmm. It's just a matter of bringing out the luminosity. And then when you're bringing out luminosity, it's going to make it brighter, right? If you bring in that contrast, then you start boosting saturation, mm-hmm. right? If you're not throwing it like in luminosity blend mode to, you know, not mess with the hues and colors and that kind of thing, right? But... Um, nice soft light, midtone contrast. It goes a long way. Believe it or not, I don't really do a whole lot of color work. Believe it or not, um, what I will do is though is getting the correct white balance, right, mm-hmm. and not coming in with strong color cast because color cast is huge. If you come in with a huge cast, a color ca- a huge color cast in your image, color separation not going to happen. It's not going to, and I'm really big on color separation, you know, um, you know, yellow cast, blue cast, uh, magenta cast, red cast, uh, orange, you know, all those, any kind of color separation, if you have a cast of any sort is going to hard to, it's going to be hard to spread those colors out because it's all taken on the same tone. So once you eliminate that color cast, and I'm not saying you got to go 100% neutral gray or anything like that, but. Um, if you can eliminate some of that cast and just really work that midtone contrast in there, and 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 I like to build my midtone contrast up. So you know you'll have some people that will come in, boom, one slider, maybe a, a S curve adjustment. You know we were all taught, you know, in our our thick stack of magazines and books. <laughs> <laughs> you know we we were taught to make that nice huge S curve, right? And you, and you'll get great contrast, right? You will get it. You know, I may have to adjust the opacity, you know, accordingly. But what I like to do is I like to build my contrast up. So you might see me do multiple small adjustments of mid-tone contrast. It might be three, it might be four, it might be five, it might be six. I don't know. It just depends on the image. Generally speaking, I like to have like a really flat image coming out of the raw. Mm -hmm. And then I like to build my contrast up. As I'm building contrast up, those colors are slowly coming into place as well. So, um... And are yeah, you so doing the, this in Photoshop with layers? Yeah, yeah. Yep. Um, I use a I use a lot of levels, levels adjustment layers. Um, I do use some curves to tweak a little bit, but a lot of levels adjustments. And the other thing is, like sometimes, um, if I if I can't get it done the way I like it, because you know, a lot of times I just start off with global adjustments. Mm-hmm. Um, sometimes if it doesn't work the way I want it, I'll just come in and I, and I paint, like I do a lot of painting. Um, so, you know, I might do like a levels adjustment for my midtone contrast and I'll still do multiple ones, but then I'll just paint that adjustment in certain areas selectively. Um, sometimes I'll do it on mask. Uh, lately I've been doing a, a lot of freehand stuff with no mask. So I'm just like, you know, like a kid, you know, on a chalkboard is doing all kinds of crazy stuff, but, nice. <laughs> um, do you have like works. a Wacom tablet or yeah. anything or are you doing a mouse? 
Um, I use both. It just depends. You know, it yeah. depends how I feel. Sometimes, um, like if I got to go like super soft and delicate, you know, I'll use my mouse. If I just got to go all out nuts, I'll use my Wacom. Yeah. Um, sometimes my, you know, my hand is, I get a little heavy handed. So when I'm using my Wacom, you know, the, the pressure sensitivity gets a little strong and I know I could adjust it, but I'm lazy. So, um, <laughs> I usually don't, but, yeah. um, yeah, a lot of it's just through midtone, midtone contrast adjustments. My believe it or not, my processing is very like very simple. Like it's not overly complicated in any kind of way. Now, believe me, I do have a really deep toolbox where I can get really crazy with my processing, but I don't need to. You know, right. I really don't. I don't really don't need to. Again, for me, it comes down to midtone contrast, luminosity, and color separation. That's really what I try to you know work. So a couple of questions with all that you just shared with us. So one, how do you define good light? And then two, That's, let's talk about uh, color cast and how to get rid of it. Okay. Uh, first question, good light. Um, I guess there's, is there really like an answer for really good light? I mean, I guess that really depends. <laughs> I mean, your opinion on it, you know, like what yeah, would you right, consider right. good light? <laughs> right. Yeah. You know, so for me, you know, you get some people that are like, you know, it'll be 10 o'clock in the morning and they'll say that's good light, right? Maybe it's good light for black and white. I don't know. You know, I don't do a whole lot of black and white, but you know, everybody kind of has their own definition of good light. For me, uh, my good light um I like low soft light and low, low, like side light. That's good light for me. Like I, I love side light and I love low soft light, um, either before sunrise or after sunset, maybe, you know, 10 minutes, 10, 15 minutes before, you know, sunset or, you know, after sunrise. But usually for me, the best light is like low soft light, even mm-hmm. like, very subtle shadows, um, you know, um, sometimes darker shadows, dark shadows with detail, um, yeah. not, not black, yeah. um, but you know, darker shadows, uh, with detail, um, depending on the scene. Um, if I'm shooting like a high dynamic range scene, um, typically I like, um, I don't shoot a lot of sun stars anymore. Mm-hmm. Um, I just find those a little bit more, um, not necessarily complicated, but complicated in terms of composition because this is the placement of the sun star. Because a lot of times, either the sun star is way on the edges of the frame, which don't add a lot to the scene. Mm-hmm. If you get lucky and you have a sun star in the middle of the frame, again, you have to have like some type of foreground or something to make that sun star work. Right. So usually I don't really shoot those. I, the composition has to be really, really on point for me to really go after a sun star type shot. But if I'm shooting like something that's backlit, um, I prefer that like as soon as the sun dips below the horizon, you still got that nice underlit clouds yeah. where the sky reflects light onto the landscape. That's good light to me. Mm-hmm. So Anything where my my shadows are nice and subtle, yeah. that's good light to me. Um, now, when it comes to color separation and color cast, yeah. um, color cast typically um, happens when um, you get like uh, colors that kind of blend in together. If you have like, if you're shooting like, for instance, fall colors, right? Mm-hmm. Those pixels in the scene, yellows, red, oranges, they're all similar, right? So what ends up happening is all that tends to bleed into everything within the scene. 
So like if there's any neutral colors in there, like if you shoot aspen trees or birch trees up where you're at, that reflected light will fall onto those trees and then everything is the same tone. So um, you want to correct that. Um, If you're shooting sandstone here in the desert, sandstone is red, has a reddish orange, you know, tone and hue to it. If you get an explosive sky with pink or red, all that light is going to reflect down onto the landscape. So once all that light reflects onto the landscape, so you're taking red and pink light from the sky, reflecting onto red and orange, you're going to have some type of red or pinkish or magenta color cast. So mm-hmm. we have to go about correcting that. Now, I'm not saying that no image should have a color cast. I'm not saying that because theoretically, if you neutralize the image and make it completely neutral gray, it's going to be completely stylized. It's not going to have, you know, any flavor to it at all. It's just going to look ugly. So sometimes what I'll do is like, I'll leave maybe a color cast in some of the image. Maybe I'll leave that pinkish red in the sky, but then take away that from the, from the foreground, you know, the, the landscape itself. Um, and so How again, you're doing, it? yeah, you're doing this in Photoshop then with layers as well versus yeah, yeah. just color balance in, in, in the raw file in Lightroom. Yeah, you could do that too. Um, a lot of times um, with my raw files, I have the tendency to start off a lot cooler and then build up warmth because warmth is easy to build up. We can throw warmth on anything and it's going to build up, but it's, that's easy to build, but it's yeah. hard to go from warm and then try to cool something off. It just, you know, it just doesn't work that well. I mean, you can do it, but it's hard. It's really challenging to do. So if you can take something cooler and then warm it up, you know, however you want, that's easy. That's, that's, that's the easy part, but it's hard to take away from the warm stuff and then, you know, try to take the cool, cool, coolness out of it and then make it work. It's it's challenging. So, so yes, um, proper white balance coming out of the raw helps. Um, definitely, definitely helps. Um, but uh, color balance adjustment layers. A lot of people don't use them, which I don't know why, but you know, that's one tool to correct it. Mm-hmm. Um, you got curves. You could do auto curves. Um, if you're a Mac user, alt auto on the curves gives you a drop down menu of like four selections. Two of those four selections will remove that color cast. Um, sometimes it completely neutralizes it. Sometimes it doesn't. It just depends. Um, and then you can adjust the opacity as needed. Um, there's another way that I do that's really simple, old school way. And I'm telling you now on this podcast, if anybody uses it, they got it from me. Um, <laughs> is the, uh, it's is the David the, Thompson the original. <laughs> no, you know, this thing, I learned this. Actually, I learned this probably like almost 10 years ago. And it's the average blur method. So if you if you go down to Photoshop, drop down menu blur, you go to average, you click on it, it's going to show you what the color cast is of the image right then and there. It's super, super huh. easy. Um, once you do that, yeah, once you do that, you can neutralize it and, you know, kind of go from there. It's really, really, really cool. And it's really quick and really intuitive. Um, gives you a really good baseline of, you know, how you can correct that cast. Um, and again, and I'm not saying that you want to completely neutralize, you know, the image, but you know, some scenes are just going to have like a natural cast. Like if you're shooting up in the Olympic forest where it's completely green, obviously you're going to have a green cast because a whole, a hundred percent of the scene is green. Right. right. But, but 
there's going to be different shades of green in there, right? You're going to have some warm greens. You're going to have some cool greens. If you have uh, moss, uh, you have those maples in there. Um, it's more of a like a lime green, like a yellowish green. So then, you know, that's when you come in and then you'll have to paint, you know, some of that adjustment in, you know, certain areas to, you know, kind of give it that nice uh, balance and separation. Because if you have a tree, like a sacred, you have a specific, like uh, one of those maples in there. And, um, it blends completely in with everything else in the background, right? Mm-hmm. Um, we want to separate that tree from everything else, right? So we're not going to be able to do that with just localized or uh, global adjustments. We're going to have to do a localized adjustment specifically on the tree and then maybe paint that adjustment in to separate that tree from the background. Um, so it doesn't completely blend in with the scene. So, mm-hmm. you know, that's a, another way where, the color cast of the scene, you know, it's nothing you can really do about it. But what you can do is just separate some of the other colors, you know, light colors in there and separate them out. Yeah. Yeah. That makes sense. Thank you for explaining that. So what would you say your photography says about you, David Thompson, the regular guy with the camera? What are you trying to express or reflect in your photography? That's really, that's, that's really simple. And, um, it actually took me a while to kind of figure that out. And again, you know, it's one of these things that we were talking about earlier, how over time you start to mature as a person. Mm-hmm. And I really feel like um, our our photography, whether we know it, you know, consciously or subconsciously is a, is a reflection in a part of us. Mm-hmm. And with my photography, I think my, my work is very, um, it's subtle, it's understated, um, quiet, loud at times. Um, but not over the top. Um, I would say clean, um, reserved, which is a lot like me, um, you know, in a lot of ways. Um, but I think that's, again, maybe not really knowing it back then, but as I've gotten more mature, that's just kind of the direction of my work and the way it's going. And I feel like that's just like a, a very, good representation of myself. Just, um, you know, just, you know, very subtle. It's very mellow. It's not really over the top. It's not in your face. Um, you know, um, sometimes I can throw a little spice to it, which is, you know, like me sometimes, but, um, I think it's very, I guess maybe it could be a form of expressive photography. I don't know. I, I haven't, you know, gotten that far into it, but maybe it is. Yeah, I mean, it sounds like it. I've, I've heard of other people describing it about, you know, they, they have a certain emotion and that's what they're trying to reflect sure. in their photograph. But it sounds like that that could be the case for you. But also it's just your personality is coming through. Sure. Yeah, yeah, I think so. And I think, too, like um, the stuff that you're going through in your life, I think sometimes that also shows in your in your photography as well. Um, I think like, you know, if you're going through dark times, maybe your photography might be a little bit more moodier or, you know, maybe more dramatic. Um, You know, sometimes I think if you're super happy, you know, maybe it's maybe bright, Mm -hmm. more colorful. Right. Right. Um, And maybe you're doing that without even knowing it. I I think that, you know, sometimes I'm not saying that's like all the time, but, you know, sometimes, um, you know, I think that kind of shows in, in your work and you, you may not even know it. Yeah. Sometimes I find that I see it in retrospect. You know, I, sure. I've been lately going through this 
phase, I don't know if you want to, if I want to call it a phase, but like I've been really attracted to creating abstract images, um, mm-hmm. which I haven't been sharing so much. And, and when I've thought about it, I'm like, why am I, I used to not do anything with abstracts. <laughs> sure, and, sure. but I, you know, for one, I love other people's abstracts. And so I think I'm just also trying to learn how to distill a composition sure. out of an abstract subject. Right. And that's an interesting challenge, but also I feel like it's, uh, I've got some chaos going on in my life right now. And I think it's also a reflection of that, that I just don't know right. what, what sense to make of things right now. <laughs> right. So, do you feel, do you feel that, that, you know, like whatever you have going on and you think, do you feel like that's showing in the, the abstract work? I think so. I think that's why I'm attracted to making it versus sure. the more straight up photograph. Yeah. Uh, which is interesting. Yeah, that is. I think that's really cool, though. Um, you know, because same thing. I, you know, I was doing some abstract stuff, and I wasn't necessarily going through anything, but um, the colors and the the like these. I was doing these water abstracts, right? These reflections, and just like the the vibration of the water and and the movement it was just like so calming. Yeah. Right. And I felt like that's kind of at a point where I was in my life where it was like very calming, just seeing, you know, these different patterns and, you know, the colors, you know, bright, you know, right. orange and, 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 and airy and, and, and blues and, you know, stuff that just, just gives off a, a, a good vibe. Mm-hmm. And that's kind of, you know, same thing. I haven't shared them yet, but that's kind of where, you know, I, that's kind of the vibe that I was getting from that. And, you know, not really, maybe knowing at the time, but, you know, I was very like content and happy when I was like, you know, capturing those. And I was like, Oh, this is cool. Yeah. And then, you know, I get back to the computer and I'm like, man, these really make me feel good. Yeah. So yeah, I think that's uh, I think that's interesting. It is. And I, I love how they're constantly changing. Right. So everyone yeah. is different and sure. You know, you can, you can, sometimes I'll spend an hour just photographing the same little tiny section of a stream and every, sure. every photograph is different. They, so many different patterns are constantly changing and, and that's part of the fun of it, I think, you know? Yeah. 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 I, I totally agree with you. Yeah. It's, um, I don't know. It's just so, you know, and that's the thing I think that also keeps me like very intrigued with photography is just that, you know, there's, I don't know. It's like, for me, it's, it's made me very mature in how I look at, the world, you know, in general. Um, I think it's matured me in a lot of ways. It's uh, made me a lot more compassion, compassionate. Mm-hmm. Um, I also feel that um, it's taught me, photography's taught me to be really patient mm. and, you know, and being willing to, like we talked about earlier, being willing to fail, um, you know, like sometimes, you know, things don't go exactly as planned and that's just how it is. It's, it, and it's okay. And, you know, I think that, um, photography is, has helped me with like certain situations, you know, in my life where, you know, it's like, man, you know, it's a bummer that that happened like that. But then it's just like, you know what? It's okay. Yeah. <laughs> you know, it's, everything is going to be all right. So, um, photography is just, it's just been like a, a true, a truly a blessing for me in so many ways. And, um, you know, as long as I, you know, can physically do this and, you know, still have life, 
I'm still gonna still gonna do this. Even if I was like in a wheelchair or something like that, I'd figure out a way to, yeah. you know, go somewhere and make something happen. But yeah, I, I love it. I, I don't see myself, you know, deterring away from this um, anytime soon. Yeah. Well, I hope you don't. <laughs> oh, <that's okay>. <laughs> <laughs> um, so, would you ever? I know you have a, a full time career outside of photography. Sure. Uh, would you ever consider going full time in photography, or do you want to keep it as this passion? No, um, no, no desire to go full time, no time soon. Um, I know that if I wanted to go there, I could, I, I I'm pretty confident in my skill set, Um, and I know that if I wanted to, you know, make a, a larger business out of this, I definitely could. But for me, Brenda, it's the, still the, the hunt and the, and the creativity still being able to, you know, create, if it becomes my job it's work, right? right? I work now, you know, every day when I pick up my camera, I work too, but it's a different kind of work. It's more, um, for satisfaction for myself. Right. Mm -hmm. And still being able to create once I go to work as a full-time job in photography, I'm not going to be able to be able to create the way I want to just being able to just go, go somewhere without, any thoughts, you know, no plan at all, just going, I'm not going to be able to do that. It's going to be completely different. Right. And, um, I just don't, I just don't see that for myself. I just can't, um, I don't even know what that looks like you right. know, cause my, cause my brain is just not there. My brain is still in create mode and, you know, still to try to become the best photographer that I possibly can yeah. and, uh, and learn, learn different things along the way. Yeah. Yeah, well, I think you would end up giving up some freedom of expectation. Sure, absolutely. Full time with it, yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And then you know the other thing too, like you know, I'm I'm kind of like a I like to make people happy, right? Which I know that you know me teaching, which I do like to teach. Um, I've been pretty successful at that, but I know that once I make it a full time job that pressure of making people happy, mm. right, is going to get even more challenging. And yeah. I know that I'm not going to be able to make everybody happy. I know that. Yeah. And the one person that sends me that email that's upset because he didn't get good conditions or something like that is going to, is going to ruin me. <laughs> so, so, so I don't even want to, I don't even want to subject myself to that. So um, yeah, no, but yeah, I just know that, you know, I, I would get that and, you know, I'd be feeling some type of way and I, you know, I always try to, you know, make my clients happy um, in some kind of capacity. And, you know, if I get that one person that they're not happy with me, then I'm going to be kind of bummed out. And, you know, right. I'm not, <laughs> I'm not ready for that yet. Yeah. So, um, but yeah, it's just not right now. It's just not in the cards for me. I don't, you know, I'm not, I just, like I said, I don't know what that looks like. I don't even know what that looks like right now. So no, yeah, no time soon. Yeah. Well, it's good to know that, you know, I think a lot of people wonder and they, kind of wring their hands over like, oh, should I, should I not? And, yeah. you know, it's, it's nice that you have at least a clear understanding of how it would feel if you did change. And so yeah. why, why do that doesn't feel better than what you're doing? So I change. Yeah. yeah, yeah, exactly. And, you know, the thing is, too, is like, I've also learned, you know, with my photography that I am very clear with my vision now. And I am very clear on what I want to do, what I want to accomplish um, things I would like to see, things I would like to do. And 
I'm going to, I got to get that out first, Yeah, you know, before I even, even remotely even think about trying to, you know, do this as a full-time job, you know, maybe, I don't know, 10 years down the road, maybe that might be something, you know, that I, I might, you know, explore or think about, but for right now, no, it's just that, like I said, I just know what I want to do. Um, I know where my vision is at. Um, and I'm just going to stick to that for right now. That's just, you know, where I'm at. Do you have any advice for, for young or emerging photographers who are trying to find their voice, their vision for their photography? Hmm. I would say, um, the first thing is be patient. You know, the, you, you have to learn patience. You have to, I know now with the digital age, it's a lot different and, um, we want instant gratification. Um, I think for, you know, some of us that started, you know, like I said, when I did, we didn't, we didn't have all the, the social media stuff. So, you know, we, we weren't seeing these, this mass, you know, uh, massive images every day, all day. We didn't have that. So, you know, I think for us, you know, trying to, you know, even get remotely close to something, one picture that we saw was, you know, was a goal for us. Right. right. Now it's, it's out there. Like there's so many good photographers out there. So and so many good images and, um, you know, you want, people want to get there like right away, but I think that it's more, um, of having patience. Mm-hmm. Um, another thing I'll say is, is learn light. And I think that's, you know, stressed enough is learn light, learn what the light does to the, to the landscape, study light, study, you know, study it, all types of, all types of, uh, subjects, uh, all types of times during the day, um, and figure out what light does to the landscape. It's mm-hmm. really, really important. And it matters. Yeah. Um, and then lastly is, um, I would say, um, be, what's the word I want to use? Um, do your diligence, you know, stick with it and, you know, have integrity with what you're doing. Um, you know, again, it's not something that's going to happen overnight. Photography is hard. It's not easy. It's really, really, really hard. And, um, it's challenging, but, um, you know, if you stick to it and, you know, practice and accept your failures, you're going to, you're going to learn really, really, really quick. But, you know, it just it doesn't happen overnight. You just have to stick with it. Yeah. All the excellent advice. So thank you. Yeah. Um, so being that you're a person of color and I'm sure. a woman, we're both fairly underrepresented when it comes to yes. the field of landscape photography. Very <laughs> so, much so. Yeah. So I'm wondering, do you have any ideas of how the field could be more inclusive and even, even just the outdoors could be more inclusive of underrepresented yeah. communities. Yeah. It's, um, God, you know, I, you know, I talk about this a lot with, you know, some of my friends and it's, it's really unfortunate that we have normalized so much stuff, you know, over the years with, you know, um, women in wages, women in certain, of you know, positions of management, um, uh, people of color, and, you know, in the same, you know, management, um, uh, wages, um, representation, just in general, um, we have to, we got to educate, 
you know, and it, and, you know, the thing that where it starts from, you know, it starts, it starts at home. Um, it starts at home and we have to um, educate kids, cousins, moms, dads, uncles, aunts, whoever, whoever just shows any kind of interest, we have to educate them. You know, unfortunately, um, the misrepresentation starts in the urban environment. Um, places like you said, like New Jersey, New York, you know, these are people out there living, I mean, any major metropolitan, you know, city across the world, people are just trying to survive. Right. Right. They don't have the means and funds, you know, forget about the camera, but just to get out into the outdoors. Right. Right. Or leave the city. You have people that live in these metropolitan areas that have never left the city. You know what I mean? So, it starts at home and just being able to educate these people that don't get out into the outdoors or get out and explore nature in, in, in the smallest way. Um, we need to start, you know, getting that message out. I don't know, you know, on a, on a grand scale, how we could do that, you know, as photographers, but, um, you know, we got to, it starts at home. We got to educate, you know, we got to let people know that there's more out there than just, buses, trains, automobiles, people, you know, that kind of thing. Um, you know, because if you're in a, if you're in a household where, you know, your parents aren't familiar with the outdoors or your brothers or your sisters or anybody, how are you going to know? How are you going to know the what's out there? Right. If your parents never showed you anything to do with a a camera, how would you even show any interest in that? Right. Right. So if this is all of us, you know, people out here, this all we know, we see this on an everyday basis, we're not going to know any better. So in my mind, I think that it it starts in the home and we just have to start, you know, promoting more, you know, nature and outdoor activities, whether it just start with hiking, you know, um, start with hiking. And then, you know, from there it can go to, you know, camping. Right. And then maybe, you know, maybe it goes to photography. Right. Um, maybe there needs to be programs, you know, for, you know, underprivileged schools that have photography programs or art programs just in general. You know right. what I mean? And not, and I'm not talking like arts and like music, you know, or, you know, band, you know, maybe it goes with, you know, pottery or, um, you know, exploration, you know, field trips, hiking, you know, looking at rocks and the geology of, you know, the areas that are around them. Um, but, you know, it, it has to start at home. we got to get more education out there. And, you know, um, I'm all for the promotion of, you know, minorities and women, especially um, to, you know, to be out there doing the stuff that, um, you know, that everybody else is doing. Right. And to feel welcome. Yeah. doing that, you know. Yeah, you know, and that's a, and I think that's the the challenging part too because, you know, I mean, you know, I am not a I'm not a female so I don't know, but I can imagine, you know, what you guys must go through with, you know, guys cat calling and, you know, uh asking you why are you out here by yourself or, you know, whatever the case may be. Is your husband you know, carrying and, your gear? Yeah, you know, <laughs> you know silly stuff like that, you yeah. know. Women should not <laughs> women should not be subjected to that, right? right? Um, you know, me as a, you know, an African-American man, you know, I shouldn't have to go out to nature and, you know, people looking at me crazy, like, why are you out here? Right. Um, yeah. yes, you know, we do hike. There are some of us that do get out <laughs> into nature and, 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 and do stuff like this. You know, I even got friends sometimes who like, you know, I tell them where I'm going, they're like, where are you going? And why are you doing that? And I'm like, 
there's so much out there to see. Yeah. You guys don't know. It's like, it'll blow your mind if you just, you know, we talked about it earlier, 45 minutes outside of the city. That's all it takes. And there's something out there that will blow your mind and y- you'll be amazed. Right. Um, so I think that definitely education. Yeah. Um, again, I don't know. I don't know how we get that on a, on a larger scale though. You know, I don't, I don't yeah. know. I don't, I don't know if there's a, yeah, uh, I don't know. Easy either. answer for that. Right. Yeah. I mean, I, I absolutely agree. I think it starts at home, you know, families educating their kids and their, you know, their whole network there about inclusivity and, and access sure. to the outdoors and all of that. But some of it, I think like right. you're saying that this first step is awareness, just like, yeah, the outdoors is free for anyone to enjoy but accessibility might be a challenge. Knowledge of sure. it might be a challenge and all that. So how do we have overcome those yeah. barriers and make it easy for yeah. people to either experience it through photographs or experience it in person yeah. so that they start to foster their own connection to the natural world. And that would right. be hopefully motivating for them to want to spend more time in it. Right. Yeah. What I would like to do is, you know, and again, it's, it's a complicated thing in my mind is like, I think, how I started again, going back to my grandfather, seeing, you know, the pictures of the, of the Navy ship, you know, I would just hope like maybe, you know, somebody would see one of my images and go, what is that? Or mm-hmm. where is that? Or, you know, that, that, that curiosity is sparked. Um, again, how do I, you know, how do I get there? What do I need to do? You know, the organizations, you know, the organizations that we have out here are, you know, very limited, especially for like uh, people of color for, you know, outdoor activities and, you know, outdoor stuff like that. I mean, there's a couple here and there, but again, um, being able to, you know, get those images to them or how can we get it out there for people to spark that curiosity? Um, that's, that's the challenge. Um, you know, but I, I know, that there is more of a push for that now. Um, again, for, you know, women in the outdoors, um, people of color in the outdoors and, you know, minorities just, you know, for outdoor activities and stuff. I know that there's starting to become a, a larger push for that. Mm-hmm. Um, but we need a, a, a bigger voice. The, right. the, the landscape photography community is small. It's big, but it's small, but we need more, more voices. We need a, a, a little bit larger platform for, you know, us to get work out there and, you know, people to start asking more questions and, you know, finding out exactly what we do. And right. um, I think once, once that kind of, that ball gets to rolling, it's going to continue to go and get larger and, and, and bigger and greater. So, you know, hopefully in time, um, we'll, uh, we'll get an opportunity to, uh, to see that. Yeah, I hope so. I mean, there's so much research coming out now about the health benefits of being in nature. And there's even this Parks RX program, I'm not sure, or Prescription Parks or something like that. There's a, a program that ha- na- certain national parks have been partnering up with local physicians or practitioners so that they can prescribe nature to their patients. You know, you you should go walk 15 minutes every day, you know, and that yeah. that's your prescription. And so, you know, I don't know if there's a way for photographers to help with uh, an effort like that, where it's like, okay, this is for your health, you know, your mental health, your physical health. Here, here are some easy ways to to get connected to nature, or uh, maybe it's through the images that we could provide to programs like that or something. I'm I'm not sure, but that could be a a bigger platform. Yeah, I mean, absolutely. I mean, think about that, Brenda, just a doctor 
making a recommendation of one of their patients going out into the, just going out into nature for 30 minutes, 15 minutes, you know what I mean? Just a walk in the park. That person will feel so much better, whether they realize it or not, they will feel better. Right. <laughs> um, I also go under the belief that, you know, us as humans, we, we were designed to be outside, yeah. right? We were built to be um, communal and to be outside and deal with the elements of nature, right? Mm-hmm. And if more people had that kind of mindset to just go out and just enjoy it, I mean, it'll, people would be a lot more happier. You know what I mean? I'm not saying that it would be like, you know, earth breaking and solve all the problems out there, but it could be a start. You know, oh, for sure. I don't know. It could, I mean, it could, I know it, I'm a better human when I go outside. <laughs> <You know? laughs> yeah. I mean, like, you know, like I'm also like one of those people too. Like I, like I go out quite a bit, um, you know, summertime is my downtime and I always kind of get a little frustrated because, you know, it's so hot in the summertime. I don't really do a whole lot, but I know at some point, like I have to get out, you know, if it's 120 degrees out, yes, I'll go out maybe at four o'clock in the morning and, you know, take a super early morning hike somewhere. But just that alone, I feel good. Like it feels good. And, um, you know, I think we need to promote more of that. We need to promote more of the, you know, nature being good for mental health. Um, Like I know for me, like, you know, when I was going through certain things, you know, with my family, you know, my mother and father passing away, um, being out like made me happy. It made me feel good. And, you know, it, it, it alleviated some of that stress that yeah. you're going through, but also helped me come to terms again with life. Right. You know, the, you know, we talked about earlier with just the stresses of life, but just being out with your camera, no thoughts at all. Just, you know, letting stuff go with the flow. It was so relieving and nice. And, yeah. you know, that's the kind of stuff that we need to promote to people that this is, this can actually help you out. You know what right. I mean? Yeah. Um, and it doesn't necessarily have to be at the beach. It could be a walk in the forest. You know, I mean, desert, you know, people are probably gonna be like, well, what, why do you want to walk in the desert somewhere? <laughs> right. I, I, I can understand that. But, right, right. You know, but, you know, the forest, the mountains, you know, we have mountains all over the place, you know, and on the West Coast, you know, smaller mountains on the East Coast. In Midwest, it might be a little bit challenging, but, right. you know, you can figure something out. But, I mean, right. but, you know, they got rivers, they got streams, they got waterfalls. Every state has something to offer, right? right? Yeah. But just, you know, being able to push that message, messaging out, I think will make a huge, huge, huge difference. Yeah, totally agree. Yeah. Um, well, before we wrap things up, are you up for doing a lightning round? Yeah. All right. <laughs> All right. So what's one piece of gear you can't live without that's not photography related? One piece of gear that I can't live without is not my watch. Hello. That's Your easy. watch. All right. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, you know, the, the Apple watch, I mean, yeah. come on, I need, I need that thing has every, it's like everything is on your wrist right then and there. I mean, right. like, 
Miles walk, GPS, the whole nine. You know, I get stuck, I get lost, bam, SOS, 911, yeah. <laughs> I fall and hit my head, something's going out. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> it's actually saved me one time I was doing photography and I locked my keys in the car and my phone. Right. And I was like, and I, I had hardly a, any cell service, you know. Sure. But I could tell if I leaned up against my car, my phone and my watch could communicate. And I was able to send a text message being like, help. Right. See, that's what I'm saying. I mean, you know, Apple Watch by far. Yeah. You know, and and the funny thing is that might actually change, you know, like, you know, if you were asking me this maybe three months from now, it might be something different. But just off the top of the head, I'm just like Apple watch. I mean, like there you, you can't go. go wrong. Exactly. Well, it is lightning round. So, you know, <laughs> <laughs> all right. So, uh, why breezy? Why breezy? Yeah. It's super easy. That's just how chill I am. I'm just like, like a breeze, super easy, laid back, you know, just like easy going. I go with the flow. I don't try to give anybody any headache, any problem. I tell people like, like I'm the easiest person to deal with like easy, you know, I'm rational about stuff. I get it. I don't judge, you know, I get, you know, certain things, people feel a certain kind of way. I get it, you know, yeah. but my personality, easy, easy, just breezy, just nice. breezy. Like it. Yep. <laughs> um, so this is a question that comes from one of our listeners, Mark Brown. And he said, do you have any photographs on your walls that uh, is other than your own? Mm, no. Yeah. <laughs> it's oh a, God. Uh, yeah. No, it's true. I mean, it's a good question, right? Oh, you know, God. I don't think that's anybody great, does really, but you never know. That's a great question. But yeah. you know, I, I I do have I do have plans. Um, you know, we've been in our house now, like going on our third year. Um, and I do. We have one room over here that has a bunch of open walls that I do plan on buying other pe- people's work specifically for that room. Oh, that's great. Um, plenty of space for other people's stuff. I am going to be doing that. It's just going to be a matter of time. So, yeah. um, you know, is this, it, it's my wife is probably like right now being like, yeah, yeah, yeah. But it, it's going to happen. Um, it's just, you know, just a matter of time before I, uh, get that done. Yeah. Well, that's great. That's awesome. That's um, funny. <laughs> <laughs> you're like, Oh, <laughs> um, if you could give a piece of advice to a younger version of yourself, what would it be? Oh, Man, that's a who. Um, stay focused. Mm, Stay, stay focused. I I mean, if I would have known how much focus matters just in life in general, who man, it would have been. You know, I'm not going to say my life was super hard in any kind of way. I've been really blessed and really fortunate. You know, my parents did a pretty good job raising me. You know, I'm the only child. So, you know, I had to learn a lot of responsibilities very, very, very young. Yeah. And, um, but sometimes, you know, staying focused was a little challenging, but, um, the younger me, I would be like, stay focused and, you know, keep your mind right and don't get distracted. Um, and it, it would make stuff a whole lot easier, but, you know, um, I can't complain, you know, Hey, you know, that's part of life, you know, learning and, uh, you know, being a better version of what you were, you know, in the past. So, yeah. Totally. Yeah. I like it. Um, all right. So final question, what does connecting with nature mean to you? And that's that's a good question. Um, (laughs) 
Because there's a, a few different ways I would like to answer that, but I'm just going to try to, you know, summarize it. One of the things that I will say with connected with nature to me is, um, and I think it's really important, you know, again, we talked about just, you know, just in people in general, and I'm not even going to put the photography aspect to it, but um, one of the things with a good connection with nature is you by yourself going out, getting away from everything and everyone where it's quiet and you can take all the elements around you, you can take that in and absorb that. Um, what you do with that energy um, is something totally different, but being connected with nature is just being able to go out and just make that connection connection with the landscape, you know, and everything that's dealing with that landscape, the dirt, the bushes, the grass, trees, mountain air, um, all of that. It all is, you know, that, that connection of, of earth and mm-hmm. being able to um, absorb that energy. And maybe some people that might be a little too deep, you know, but um, if you can find a way to do that, it is very powerful and it's very moving in, in very many, you know, very many ways. Um, but that would be my answer with connecting with nature. Yeah. Oh, I, I like that a lot. I haven't really heard people describe it that way before as a, Basically, I've heard people talk about it being rejuvenating and that sort of thing, but you're talking about it as a source of energy that you can do something with. Yeah. Yeah. Because, you know, I I say, you know, I always tell people this, like, if you really, really, really want to know yourself as a person, go on a trip by yourself, you know, just pick a place, you know, and a remote place and you go to that remote place and you're the only one out there, you're by yourself nobody around, no cell service, um, basically a disconnect from the, the world, you know, if you will. And you do that for two to three days, you're really going to know yourself. Mm-hmm. You are really going to learn a lot about yourself. And that's when I really found my connection with nature, nature was doing that. And it was a very, very, very moving experience for me. And it's something that I do at least two to three times a year um, where I just go. I don't like necessarily have like a itinerary or anything like that. I have an idea of what I want to do and I just go. I just had like a trip like that back in um, back in uh, March, which is one of the images that I sent you for the, uh, for the promo stuff. Oh, excellent. And, um, you know, just being able to just go out there and get away from everybody. It was quiet. There was no schedule, no timetable, no nothing. I just went, you know, I didn't even really have a plan. I, you know, my wife was like, where, where are you going to go? I go, I don't know. Mm-hmm. When I get up in the morning time, I'm just going to go. And that's where, you know, it took me. And I didn't, you know, didn't necessarily have any, you know, super planned out schedule or anything like that. I just wanted to, I just wanted to be out. And before even taking my camera out or, you know, my drone, I just sat there and just absorbed everything, the breeze, the wind, you know, the smell, um, the smell of the, uh, the bushes that were blooming, you know, the, the, the sage and, and that kind of thing, the sand, you know, red sand that, you know, we find out here in the desert mm-hmm. and, you know, the clay, 
um, everything. Just, you know, all of those elements were just, it just, it, it felt good. It gave off good energy. And, you know, I just wanted to put that energy into, you know, my imagery. And for me, that's my connection with nature. Um, it's just that, that, you know, energy that the, the earth has given us as, you know, as humans and just being able to extract that and put it into our work. And, you know, and again, you know, whether it be, you know, photography, or if you're a writer or you're just a musician, you know, it's a way to compose music or, you know, a way to write. I feel like all of that helps. Mm-hmm. And um, that's just was the case with me with my imagery on that trip. So, yeah. Yeah. So, well, it, it definitely comes through. It comes through for sure in your photographs. So, yeah, I appreciate that. I appreciate that. Yeah. Well, David, this has been such a pleasure to chat with you and have some yeah, laughs likewise. and hear your stories and your approaches to, yeah, it's been really great. So thank you so much for, for coming on the show. And, um, if people wanted to, if if they're not already familiar with your work, if they wanted to connect with you or see your photography, where, where's the best place for them to go? Uh, super easy. Um, David Thompson, photography.com. Um, David Thompson photography on Instagram. Um, I'm on Facebook, David Thompson, search me, Las Vegas, Nevada. You'll be able to find me. I'm all over internet searches this david thompson photography you'll be able to find me i'm i'm out there excellent um, really easy really easy to find good good and i understand that you're offering listeners uh 15% off of your post processing skype sessions in august sure yeah if any of you guys are uh interested in some of the stuff that we talked about color cast issues you know color separation midtone contrast you know you guys want to get an idea of what i do for my workflow and maybe add a couple of things to your your toolbox with, uh, you know, development and post-processing, um, take advantage of it. You know, month of August, um, like I said, I'll be giving that discount for that month. Um, and if you guys are interested, start booking. Um, That's you, know, awesome. you guys will have a good time. You guys will have a good time. You guys will learn some stuff. Yeah. So the best way for them to take advantage of that is to just uh, contact you through your, your website and mention the podcast? That's it. Mention okay. the podcast um, on my website. There's a contact page there. Email me and we'll, we'll get you uh, scheduled. Perfect. I think I'll take advantage of that as well. (laughs) Well, thank you, David. This has been terrific. Thanks so much. Hey, thanks a lot, Brenda. I appreciate it. And it was really good chatting with you and I had a good time. Me too. Thank you. All right. I hope you enjoyed that interview with David. And again, you can find out more about his photography at davidthompsonphotography.com. And I highly recommend getting in touch with David on social media. And don't forget to take advantage of his generous offer of 15% off his post-processing Skype lessons for the month of August this year. Just mention this podcast when you reach out to him. And you can find all the links mentioned today in the show notes at outdoorphotographypodcast.com slash 67. Again, thank you, David, for coming on the show. And thank you, dear listener, for tuning in. I appreciate you. And I hope you got a lot of value out of today's episode. And I'll be back here next week with a Tidbit Tuesday episode where I'll give you a practical photography tip and or answer your submitted questions. So if you have a question or topic you'd like to suggest for a Tidbit Tuesday, or if you want to share with me your questions about macro photography, just click the link in today's episode description or go to outdoorphotographypodcast.com and you'll be able to record your short message there. Until then, get outside my friends and find yourself a little nature. Take care.